Hello, TCO listeners. Today, I am sitting down with the wonderful and inspiring Sarah Turney. Sarah's fight to capture the murderer of her late sister, Alyssa, has made big waves in recent months due to her social media campaigns, billboards, voice, Voices for Justice podcast, media interviews, and of course, her iconic TikTok videos. Nearly two decades after Alyssa's disappearance, Michael Turney, Sarah and Alyssa's father, has been charged with second-degree homicide. At a news conference this past August announcing the grand jury indictment, Alistair Adele, the prosecutor for Maricopa County, Arizona, addressed Sarah directly in saying, Your perseverance and commitment to finding justice for your sister, Alyssa, is a testament to the love of a sister. Because of that love, Alyssa's light has never gone out. Sarah, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on The Chosen Ones and for your admirable fight for justice on behalf of your sister, Alyssa. So thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. My goodness. When you read that, I started tearing up. It's still every time I, I hear what Alice or Adele said, I, I literally cry. It's insane. As you can see. And my voice just <laughs> it's cracking because this is the first time we've kind of met face to face. I mean, we've kind of been Facebook friends. So this is a new way for us to connect. So, but thank you again for joining us. Um, but first and foremost, I want to talk about your work and advocacy for Alyssa. So where and when did that begin? Oh my goodness. I mean, I would say I created the first website for Alyssa, you know, just a little bit after she was gone. I was only 12 or 13. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of that and what little I did back then, it started so long ago, but it wasn't until, you know, 2017 when the police um, informed me that they weren't going to move forward with charges and recommended, you know, that media attention could help um, that I really started on this, this larger mission as an adult. That's great. Yeah. And I first heard your story on Crime Junkie, actually. So that I think that was last year. Um, So at that time, you had this aha moment about your father. What type of emotions were you feeling around that time? It's so hard to say. Um, I feel like it didn't really come all at once. It's, Mm -hmm. It's something that kind of just trickled in. And I think you know, I think throughout this whole thing with Alyssa, a big coping mechanism for me was just working towards fighting for her and not focusing on those emotions, to be totally honest. So it's not as if it was weeks and days of me sitting there crying. Um, I think my brain just immediately said, this is the right thing to do and I need to help and I have a mission now. And that really helped me with the grief, if that makes sense. Um, you know, sitting down and crying, like no, no shame to anybody who does that. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. There's no wrong way to grieve. But for me, it was actionable steps to make progress in her case that made me feel better. Um, But, you know, I can say that giving interviews and starting to talk about her around those years was extremely difficult. I mean, I would, you know, give an interview for an hour and it would take me days to recover, which just meant a lot of self-care, a lot of sitting in the bathtub and reflecting and trying to zone out. And slowly over time that got easier. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's hard to say because, you know, my emotions and my grief came out in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And you touch on a great point about self-care and how opening those wounds do take a while to recover from again. And I think people don't realize that (laughs) as easy as it may seem to just come out and talk about these situations, you kind of pay for that. So I can only imagine (laughs) how difficult that is for you. So I'm so sorry you've had to go through that. And, and again, we thank you for being here and speaking to this. So 
And so with that, oftentimes we do forget that parental perpetrators are still parents to other children. Um, as we learned over the course of time in our series, Colby Ryan is experiencing a new life due to Lori Vallow's involvement in the murders of his siblings. Um, what is something you want our listeners to know about that grieving process and how you continue pushing through that in life? I think I would just want people to understand that it looks different, that you can't think of one form of grief and apply it to everyone going through something terrible like Colby is. Um, it's unspeakable. It's unthinkable. It's something you don't you don't expect. I don't think anybody goes into these situations thinking it could be their parents. Um, and that is extremely complicated and changes from person to person. And I would just say to Colby or anybody else experiencing that to just, you know, forgive yourself and remember that however you grieve that works for you is okay. And if people don't like that, that's okay too. Um, right. it, it's about you and, and your grieving and making sure that you're okay before you can focus on anything else. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. So with that being said, now you reside in Arizona and the case of Charles Vallow is actually local to you, whereas I'm in Salt Lake um, and Tammy Daybell is a little more um, prevalent in my state. So do you remember hearing about his case or when you first heard of this story? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was huge here in the media. Um, you would see, I, I believe it was like that, the video of the police at the home mm -hmm. um, where they're interviewing uh, Lori for a brief period of time, I think was what was shown mostly. But yeah, I mean, I, I was rocked by it, of course. Um, I saw it and I wanted to help. And it's actually, uh, this case is the first case that I studied outside of Alyssa's case. I was invited. Wow. To, yeah. <laughs> I was invited to go on the Mile Higher podcast with um, Kendall Ray and, and her husband, Josh, um, right. to speak about it. So I I spent hours researching this. I mean, my goodness, this was probably a year ago now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was the first case outside of Alyssa's that I really researched and it, it hit me hard. Wow. I didn't realize that actually, that you've already spoken to it. So I guess with that, um, so this is a topic of conversation then in Arizona and for other residents that are living there. Is it fairly, you know, because I know here it is all the talk. So I can only imagine in Arizona it is as well. Yeah, I would say right now it's definitely one of the largest true crime cases that I see in our in our local media. Um, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, and that you know that comes so much from social media too. Mm -hmm. But it, it's all I see. Um, it, it's that in the Alicia Navarro case, and um, definitely a, a hot topic right now in Arizona. Right. So, how did the community react when the children were found? Do you remember? You know, it's hard to say because. Um, <clears throat> sorry, my voice. Um, <laughs> no worries. Um, it's hard to say. I really do try to stay off of the comments in local news mm -hmm. just from my own experience with Alyssa. Yeah. Um, I find that, I don't know if it's specific to Arizona, but they tend to not be kind. And whenever the local news here covers true crime, people tend to flock and ask why they aren't covering, you know, to them more important issues, if you will. Yeah. Um, I find that it's kind of negative in Arizona when it comes to true crime. Um, yeah. I didn't get a lot of local coverage for Alyssa. And mm -hmm. like I said, you just see those negative comments. And I really try to try to steer away from that um, yeah. as much as I can. Absolutely. So in the media, just like you said, they can blow things out of proportion as well as these comments. Um, how have you been able to handle that side of things for Alyssa's case, especially now with Michael's arrest? 
honestly, I just ignore it. Um, I yeah. find no joy in, in calling people out or calling them to correct them or anything like that. Um, it's just kind of something you deal with as a family member. You just understand that people are going to get things wrong and people yeah. will have opinions that you don't agree with. And um, it, it happens. It's just kind of a a price of, of doing all of this, I suppose. Um, so luckily for me, I really don't take it to heart. Yeah, that's good. What is the best way for our communities to act as advocates in these cases rather than, you know, sensationalizing things or, you know, as you said, trying to focus on more important things, especially in the year that we're in. I feel like some people just want to avoid anything negative and other people want to try to find the positive in these situations. So what, yeah, what is the best way you think um, we as communities connect as advocates? I mean, I would say in my experience, the best form of advocacy and, you know, in true crime is sharing these stories that need justice. Mm -hmm. Um, And speaking about them respectfully, um, I don't think that any, crazy theories do anyone any good. Like I get if you're a content creator and you want to make something because you believe in something, but if you're a normal advocate, just sharing things on Twitter, just take a second, think about the source it's coming from, think about what is really being said in that message and if it's helping the case or not. Um, Mm. That's all I can say is, you know, take a look at who's creating this content, what they're saying before you share it. Um, and take a look at the case and see if it needs to be shared. If you see Mm -hmm. something that is viral and being shared everywhere, that doesn't always mean it's helping the case. I have seen cases in true crime that have been shared everywhere, um, that I didn't think were possibly affecting the case. So I didn't share it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it just comes down to individually looking at these cases and trying to think about what's best for them and knowing that sharing isn't always the answer. A lot of the times it is, but not always. Right. And that maybe, you know, the story you're sharing isn't factual, mm-hmm. um, but it's hard. You know, I think most people come from, I just want to help. And when they click retweet really fast, I don't think it's anything malicious if they're sharing the wrong information or, anything like that. Um, I think, you know, it just comes down to being a conscious consumer of true crime, like right. anything else in this world. Right. And that's a good point. And I think oftentimes, especially in the true crime community, we see these groups, you know, on Facebook or social media that just kind of add to that, you know, drama of it or whatever it may be. But I feel like for the most part, the way that you handle things, um, it was definitely a benefit of people sharing from you as that source of saying, you know, here's this TikTok, let's share this or information um, on Twitter. Um, So with that, how did you get the idea to kind of create that campaign um, for Alyssa and everything that you've done, you know, thus far? Sure. I, you know, when it came to social media, it's something I did in my professional career. Um, You know, I did events and fundraising and marketing, and a lot of that is done through social media and, you know, crowdsourcing. So I really just applied that to Alyssa's case. And I, you know, went through all the traditional routes. I made a Facebook page and I made an Instagram and I, you know, started, uh, putting out tweets on Twitter about it. Um, But, you know, of course, it really wasn't until quarantine when, you know, a billion people or whatever it was downloaded TikTok that I said, hey, maybe this thing um, has something to it. Maybe I should give this a shot. I've already tried everything else. And, uh, you know, I just kind of got lucky, I feel. Yeah. No, and that's phenomenal. 
And I think a big thing, another something that I see, especially in this case and messages that I received after starting the podcast, people really want to reach out to family members or individuals involved. Yeah. What is the best way that you tell individuals, you know, you need your space right now? Sure. For me, especially after the arrest, I found that I did need a lot of space. I I wasn't running to social media to share everything because, you know, for me, everything changed at that moment. The mission changed. Um, But, you know, what I did was basically just acknowledge that I understand that my followers and the followers of the case want answers and that they care, Mm -hmm. but then telling them that I'm a real person going through something and I just need a moment and to please respect that. And I I am so lucky that 99% of the people that follow me or my podcast or whatever it might be are so respectful and so kind. Um, And I believe genuinely care about me and other cases. So I feel like I got really lucky, but I think it's, you know, you you have to acknowledge that people care Um, and you have to, you have to kind of foster that and love that. You can't just run away from it or get angry at it because people are expecting answers. You know, for example, Mm -hmm. I I must get 20 comments a day on my TikTok. When are we going to get an update? Why aren't you updating us? I can't believe you haven't given us an update yet. And you just have to, you know, I guess be understanding that you set them up to receive these updates from you. So of course they're going to be disappointed when that doesn't happen anymore because you need space or something happened or whatever it might be. Um, So for me, I guess it's just this mutual respect of loving my audience and um, just wanting to be really, really straightforward with them and letting them know what I can and what's going on and why I need that space. Yeah, that's a great answer. So. Um, you know, it has been such a journey watching you and especially all the hard work. And I've watched you on social media too, where it's just, you're pouring your heart and soul into, you know, this case specifically again for your sister. What would you say to someone like Colby who's continuing his fight you know, a little more reserved right now on behalf of Tylee and JJ. I mean, I would tell Colby that's totally fine, that you don't have to look at what I do and try to copy it. Mm -hmm. You know, the beauty in it is, is that you just be yourself and do what you feel is best for the case and take things as they come. Everyone's different and that's totally fine. Um, I just, I don't want anyone to look at what I did, which was, work exhaustively. And, you know, I would come home from work and work all night and work all day on weekends. And that's what worked for me. And that was my process of coping and how I felt I needed to go about things. But I don't think everybody else will have that same experience. Um, So I would just tell Colby that, you know, it's okay to be more reserved and to do what he feels is right. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that's very important. So I would love our listeners to head over to Voices for Justice podcast. Where can they find you? Oh, sure. Um, I am everywhere by design, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can find Voices for Justice podcast at voicesforjusticepodcast.com. It's available everywhere you find podcasts. Um, of course, you can follow me on Instagram. You can follow the Facebook page. You can follow the the infamous now TikTok, um, Twitter, <laughs> whatever it might be. I, I try to purposely be everywhere I can. That's amazing. Well, Sarah, this is awesome. Again, we just want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your insight on this. Um, What do you think is next too, though, for you? For me, it's helping other cases. Absolutely. Um, I... 
I've always wanted to help other people, but with Alyssa's case kind of on my back and feeling like that was my most urgent need, Mm -hmm. if you will, um, I didn't really feel like I had the bandwidth to do it. And now I do. um, And I'm, you know, taking calls with other family members of victims. I'm sending them emails. I'm just kind of advising them in addition to creating content around other cases. Um, So I've become this kind of advisor advocate that I never thought I would be. Um, But yeah, it's all about trying to kind of pay it forward and and help some other cases because I'm, I mean, as cheesy and as as silly as it might sound, I really do just want to help after everything I've been through. Like people really don't understand what it's like to be a family member in this space and how it's different um, Mm -hmm. from being a journalist or a content creator. And I have created this hybrid kind of form of what I do now. And um, I see both sides of it. So that just makes me want to help um, for a long story short. <laughs> no, and that's, again, that's phenomenal. And and we definitely need more people like you. So again, we thank you so much for joining us today. I will get the links to all of everything that you have on social media. Because like I said, listeners, this is a story that is wild. It did such a good job of going through each motion of what she's experienced as an advocate for her sister, but also how it led to this arrest. So um, Sarah, again, I just want to say thank you for joining me today and we look forward to your updates. Of course. Thank you. Thank you.